Straw Hut Media. This person, when I was drawing it, uh, my intention was for him to be Asian. Um, they're also covered in tattoos um, because I am as well. And these two individuals are really just um, soaring upwards. They're ascending. Um, they're happy. They're joyful to be together. Um, they feel safe. Marcos Chen is an artist whose work includes intersectional representation of queer stories and Asian stories. Being a commercial artist, Marcos has had to work in spaces where his artwork may be considered bad for business. We talk about how he navigates his career as a professional artist while also being able to stay authentic and true to who he is as a queer creator. I'm Levi Chambers, and this is Pride. Marcos' story begins in Mozambique, where he was born. I am an immigrant. Um, I don't want to say like a typical immigrant story because I feel like a lot of immigrant stories are, you know, varied. But, you know, there was a thread that runs through, I think, a lot of our stories in the sense that um, we didn't choose to leave, we had to leave. So I was born in Mozambique, Africa, second generation. Um, originally, my grandparents moved from southern China to Mozambique because of, of the war. Um, and then when we lived in Mozambique, we stayed there until the mid-70s, because, and then we had to leave because, again, there was a war, there was a revolution. Um, and we moved from there to Portugal, stayed for a bit, and then was sponsored to move to Canada, to Toronto. I'm giving you a very sort of sped-up version, but we moved to Toronto, and I lived there until 2005. So I studied there, I went to school there, um, studied art there, and in 2005, I moved from Toronto to New York City. And I live in Brooklyn now. So that's really kind of the sped up version of like my immigration story. From there, Marcos was able to find his way into receiving an education in art and pursuing a career as an artist. I originally um, pursued art because it was when I was young, um, what I felt like the only thing that I was good at, um, I didn't feel like coming out of high school, going into college, that I could do anything else. I went to university to study fine art, um, sort of, it wasn't working out. And so what I ended up doing was actually moving, transferring to an art college where everything was art related. And so um, that's really where for me, uh, my training began. Um, and it wasn't just about learning how to draw and paint formally. Um, what the school did in the program um, was an illustration program within design. I went to the Ontario, Ontario College of Art and Design, OCAD, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. But what that program taught me to do was really how to tell stories and to communicate messages and concepts through pictures. And so when I went through that program coming out, I didn't work right away. You know, you hear these real, you know, amazing stories of these young artists who sort of like come out of the gate running and just doing these incredible things um, as young artists. But it wasn't like that for me. Um, I come from a working class family. Um, I worked all through school. And so when I graduated, I was still working. I was working in retail for a couple of years and doing, I guess, art on nights and weekends. And so it was a lot of persistence, I think. Um, 
you know, making work when there was no work and just literally, you know, pounding the pavement and showing anyone who was willing to look at and listen to me, um, my work. And I signed on with my first agent um, a couple of years after I graduated from art school. And I really think it was a luck thing because she initially had said no to me when I showed her my portfolio. And it was all paintings at that time. And I was doing these kind of like random drawings that were informed by my love of comic books and cartoons. And they were really um, sort of through the lens of fashion and queerness too, because I had just come out and I was really excited about, you know, gay life. And I was drawing all of those things. And she really responded to that. And she started to shop it around and people really liked it too. And that's kind of how, you know, my career began just through, um, that kind of work, which was really, I think, um, a description of who I was at the time, a 20-something-year-old who really loved fashion, loved going out, loved music, loved socializing. I put all of those things into my work, and I ended up working in these kind of fashion lifestyle spaces. And coincidentally, before Grinder, before Scruff, before Match.com, before all of those kind of like um, online dating companies, there was Lava Life. Oh, wait, Match.com was actually... It, it existed back then, but I ended up doing one uh, campaign for this online dating company called Lava Life, and um, they wanted to use illustration as opposed to photos. And that really set the, I guess, the trajectory of my career because a lot of people saw the ads and they started to want to work with me. Working as a commercial artist sometimes means that you don't get to include your entire self in your work. It has to be modeled to fit a specific business message, and pieces of yourself as the artist have to be edited out. Yet, a lot of Marcos's commissioned work has an unapologetically queer tone. I've been working steadily since 2001, almost 20 years I've been working steadily, freelancing, and a lot of the work that I was doing up until then uh, wasn't queer. It didn't, um, you know, the kind of lifestyle that it showed was very sort of binary men, women, socializing in these like bar lounge spaces, shopping, that type of thing. Um, but it really wasn't until I would say, gosh, I think it, it wasn't one thing, but I think it was layered. It was many things. Um, and I think social media had a lot to do with it. Um, in terms of being a catalyst, I think that um, the Me Too movement had a lot to do with it. I think that the Black Lives Matter movement had a lot to do with it. The rallies and the protests, I think the pandemic had a lot to do with it. Um, just sitting with yourself for a year and a half, just going, you know, feeling unstable at times and having all these conversations with oneself. And, you know, it was the sort of disruption, the tumult, I think, that was happening um, and how the world was changing around me um, in a new way where I guess more space was being create, created for people who maybe at that time, you know, and I, you know, were on the margins. I connected with that community. And so it was those reasons that made me want to start to share parts of myself online through social media, through words, um, through, you know, Instagram diaries, um, personal projects where I would just draw um, maybe content or subject matter that leaned towards more queer. And I think because social media is just this amazing and uh, frustrating space, um, one of the good things that came out of it was people 
started to respond positively to it. More companies and clients, and they wanted to, they asked me to create that content for them. So it was a real sort of gradual thing. Again, nuanced, layered, interconnected, all of those things. Eventually, Marcos was able to make his work more intersectional. Not only did he include depictions of the queer experience in his artwork, but he also included Asian representation. I think that when I was first beginning my career, it wasn't something that I was interested in. Um, you know, in a lot of interviews and when I speak to students, um, even on social media, I'm really adamant about sharing where I came from in terms of, you know, um, finances, economy, um, familial history. And that's why I said when we, you know, meeting you tonight that I do come from a working class family because um, when I began my career, I didn't care about all of those things that you're asking about. I didn't care about representation. I didn't care about making sure that there is an Asian person in my drawing. The reason why my drawings, you know, through the span of my portfolio over the years did include um, a multicultural cast is because living in Toronto, it was very multicultural. So I literally was just drawing what was around me, but I wasn't doing it for any other reasons. My main focus and purpose coming up was to make money. You know, like I wanted not to live in or have the same kind of life. And this isn't to, to diminish my childhood or my, my, my parents, you know, they moved here for us, my brother and sister and I to have a better life. And so my focus was to make money. And so it started to shift where I did feel like it had become more of a responsibility, more of a social platform um, that could create transformative change when um, during the rallies and protests from a year and a half ago, um, that didn't just happen, you know, outside of my home. I live in Brooklyn and there, the marches were like literally just outside of my building. Um, but it also happened on social media where um, former students of mine, and I teach also um, at an art college as well. And former students of mine, you know, said to me, Marcus, you talk about inclusivity and connectedness and things being fair. You know, you're at this school, you have power, you know, you, you're a gatekeeper, you know, um, they didn't use those words, but I'm just kind of aligning it with some of the words that were being sort of, you know, thrown, thrown about that time, like, what are you going to do about it? And so that's why, or that's how it had become, you know, to me important to include queerness, Asianness in my artwork, um, because of that. So does that experience influence the, I guess you'd say like the illustration of the design elements behind the characters or the people who end up in your work, whether it's commissioned for an advertiser or your own work, do those experiences affect that? They do. Um, my personal, I try, I mean, as a commercial artist, it's always hard to include um, your entire self in you know, into the, into the work because there's a lot of collaboration, um, that you need to do with the client. Um, but I try my best to, when designing characters, for example, to refer to myself, my friends, the people around me, there are certain things that I enjoy doing, um, you know, for certain fashion styles that, you know, I incorporate 
you know, into the work, if I can sort of sneak in these kind of Easter eggs, these surprise moments, um, the way in which people are interacting, which, for example, on a very sort of like, you know, basic way, let's just say two men holding hands, two women holding hands, something like that, or being intimate and physically intimate in that way, then I'll try my best to do it. Because before I go to a final you know, art piece, there's still the um, collaboration stage, the sketching stage, where um, if it doesn't make, if it makes the client feel uncomfortable, then we have to resolve that. As you gained more, um, I guess you'd say like more financial success with your artwork, do you feel like that in any way affected the representation that you put into your art, whether that was around queerness or your own identity? Do you feel like there was any sort of pressure from knowing like I'm commercially successful to direct your personal works that you just talked about, like that you consider work in any certain direction? Yeah, totally. Um, 100%. And I, and I don't, you know, find myself alone in this way of behaving or thinking um, because a lot of what I do, a lot of what my close friends working, you know, in this industry do um, who aren't independently wealthy, um, we don't necessarily go from job to job, but sometimes we um, get these projects that maybe pay a lot more than other ones. And so that financial freedom allows us to create a body of work that maybe expresses um, things that we can express through our commercial, through a commercial lens. There is always a balance as a professional artist between being commercially appealing and being completely true to yourself. It's a dilemma every young creator will face. Do you make money using your talents as an artist while sacrificing some creative integrity? Or do you keep the art just for yourself, never to be compromised by commercial appeal? I took care of things that I felt like um, needed to matter most, um, sort of like meeting my basic pers- uh, basic needs. So I had to obviously have enough money to pay for rent, eat, take care of those type of types of things. And if it wasn't coming from or through my art, then I needed to figure out a way to for that to happen, um, while figuring out a way to make work um, along the side, you know, uh, yeah, alongside of it. Um, and it wasn't until the artwork that I was making, which I was, as I said, like really pushing it. I was really pounding the pavement and sharing my work with a lot of people um, until that started to, um, I guess, uh, I was doing more art, which was sort of getting in the way of me doing retail, for example. Um, I decided, that's when I decided to sort of quit my job and focus on art full time. But in order, I think, I guess advice is to make sure that this thing, this thing that you're doing, this discipline that you're working on um, needs to be viewed as not a hobby. It needs to be viewed as work, you know? So even if you're not making money um, from it, you need to um, behave in a way where you assign purposefully time to make your artwork um, and be really, really, you know, um, adamant about continuing to do so. And, you know, no one can predict if, you know, that will result in getting um, more work or, you know, a career that's going to sort of last, you know, forever, you know, in quotes. But that I think is really the starting point because I think a lot of people have this idea that, and these huge goals where they go from here 
where they are into this huge goal, but it's not about that. It's about incremental steps and taking care of that thing that you need to do in the moment. And once you do that, then moving on to the next thing, but realizing that there's a path towards that ultimate goal. Um, so that's, you know, it sounds like a sort of funny advice and maybe not so pragmatic, but um, that's sort of how I did it. I had this end goal and I would focus on what was in front of me and then I'd do the next right thing and then the next right thing and just continue doing it in that capacity. When we come back, some of the specific pieces that stand out in Marcos's body of work. Art is meant to make a statement. It's meant to change people. Even in the commercial space, it's hard to get away from how deeply art impacts people. Among Marcos's body of work is a campaign for PrEP, a medication that helps prevent the transmission of HIV. With the PrEP um, campaign, uh, it wasn't just me being asked to create an image for, um, and the, the organization's called APCHA um, in New York City. And it was also um, someone following up with questions, asking me about, um, you know, if I use PrEP, um, asking me about sexual um, health. Um, I think there was a question about, you know, the intersection of my queerness with my being Chinese. Um, but it definitely affected me in the sense that I, you know, it gave me the opportunity to see that my work could be something more than just a pretty picture again in quotes, you know, um, because I, you know, what, what, what happened from that particular, um, campaign, um, you know, I think it was called like take one a day, or I can't remember the actual like tagline, but I think they were blocked on some type of social media platform. Um, and that made me feel really angry because what we were doing was educating what we were doing was to help, you know, young and you know prep is not only for gay men you know but we're helping to um you know educate um people on how to become more you know thoughtful about their sexual health and how to take care of care of themselves you know we, essentially it was just an outreach campaign you know something that i've done in the past too and so that's how you know one of the ways that i think it really changed me because it allowed me to see i think in a more visceral way um, and feel that my work could have an impact, even though it was just a drawing. So at, at what point in that process did you have that realization? Was that when you, because I think, you know, with, with artwork for a lot of people, and I don't know, because I'm not a very artistic person when it comes to that sort of thing, like creating something. But when you experience art, it's supposed to change you or affect you in some way that changes you, right? So was there a moment creating that and also knowing everything about prep and kind of what it's for, what it's supposed to do, what the goal of prep is long-term in terms of health of the public. But at what point in that were you like, oh, this is affecting me? You know what I mean? At what point in the process did you make that realization? After I was finished, um, the way that was received, um, the discussions that sort of came out of it um, was really when I felt a kind of shift. But while I was doing it, my intention was very much like how I had been trained or how I was trained to be as a commercial artist. You have a problem, you have a limited amount of time to do it and a space to work in, do your job. And so that's what I did. 
You know, one of the only things that, and it wasn't a shift, it was again, more intentional is that I wanted to make sure that um, the people who I included sitting on that large prep pill, I wanted one of them definitely to be brown. Um, And I didn't want them necessarily to have these, you know, like these, like these bodies that were super snatched, you know, like it was really important um, that, you know, I represented um, them that way, but change didn't happen until after I was finished the project. I also want to talk about your most recent, um, it's not most recent piece you've done, I'm sure, but it's your pride wall piece for Framebridge. If you could talk through that, that it's such a massive piece and I feel like it's so diverse and it has so many colors and it's bright. And I just wanted to know what was that? Well, that piece is called Just Wonderful, and that piece is a really great example of how um, a project that actually doesn't, you know, go to production um, turns into something else. So it was actually originally done for uh, an ad agency for a particular product that wanted to launch, launch during Pride, and it just never, you know, happened. And so I liked it enough. Initially, it was a vertical piece, you know, like a standard eight and a half by 11 inch and I liked what I had done for them and just felt like building the world, building the world um, horizontally and outward uh, and turning it into this big queer space, um, including things that I loved, synchronized swimming, <laughs> um, jump roping. I don't roller skate, but I bought a pair of roller skates during the pandemic. It's teal suede. Um, love fashion and jewelry. Um, I go to Fire Island every year. Um, And so, you know, hence the waves and swimmers. And so that piece just was an explosion of these things that I thought were just wonderful, you know, about being gay, being queer, being comfortable, being safe, joy, celebration. And (laughs) Framebridge from nowhere just called me out of the blue and uh, wanted to you know, they had this a blog and they wanted to include this artwork in their blog. And we did an interview similar to what you and I are doing. And then they came back again and asked me if I could do decals for their store. And so what I did is I basically deconstructed parts of um, that drawing and turned it into decals. And also what, what you didn't see, there were also in-store um, uh, characters that were about five feet tall that I also constructed as well, or had constructed, I didn't make them. Um, but yeah, so they were printed, again, so that the um, drawing could feel more immersive, I guess. So, you know, when I made it, it just felt like I was wanted to create a, a space where you could walk into. And so when Framebridge called me and offered me this opportunity, I was ecstatic. You know, I'd never seen my work. That's not true. I have seen my work blown up that large, but um, I'd never done decals and sort of had the opportunity to, you know, inhabit the space with my artwork in that capacity. Representation is absolutely crucial for the queer community. It means something to see depictions of queer people living unapologetically, joyfully as themselves. Seeing images of young LGBTQ people in advertisement, street art, and gallery shows helps other young people know that there are others like them out there living in the world and thriving. You know, when I was drawing these characters in my mind, 
I imagine that some of them were trans. You know, I imagine that some of them, you know, had a backstory. I imagine that some of them were multiracial. I imagine that some of them were people who are in my life. And the way that they were posed, things that they were doing represented the spaces that I occupy socially that have never, um, you know, that oftentimes, you know, I've been made fun of being in those spaces and to see it so publicly like that um, work that I've done um, was really emotional, you know? So. Do you feel like the, I, I think I would call it just the negative stereotypes that really plague queer, specifically queer Asian men. I mean, you, you heard like that, that um, I guess it's like a, I don't know, a bigoted slogan, but the like no fats, no femmes, no Asians, that sort of thing. Do you feel like that with, you know, grinders, kinder efforts and they're, you know, social media's efforts to, to stop people from being just so bigoted and racist and, and horrible. But do you feel like that's changing? And is it things like this, like what you create, artwork, that changes that? Especially in this time that we're in right now with the pandemic, where on top of all of those things for the queer men specifically and queer, you know, queer people specifically, you have a lot of racism coming from the pandemic. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do agree with you. I do agree in the sense that um, what you spoke about in terms of the racism and bigotry, um, not only towards Asians, but, you know, um, body types, um, ableism, that type of thing. Um, You know, all of these isms are being brought into the foreground. And I do believe that um, it's uh, an intersection of people who want to challenge that through you know, whatever efforts that they're doing, because I'm talking about my art, that's what I'm focusing towards. And so, yeah, I do think that what I'm doing um, represents only a small, like a fraction of a fraction, um, a fractal amount of, um, you know, change that can happen through my pictures. Um, And I'm really intentional about uh, including more so um, characters, in situations that represent uh, spaces that used to exist on the margins, but I feel should be more in the foreground. Um, you know, I want to bring, you know, uh, I guess like parts of myself that used to feel uncomfortable um, into the foreground. You know, I want, I, and, and it's all in an effort to challenge that because I have been in these sort of social media spaces, these dating sites where it, people have said to me, you know, I don't like Asians, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, you know, it's, it's not, you know, untrue. Um, but I think for a long time, I felt like they were untrue in the sense that I was being too sensitive and overly sensitive. And so with so much, um, not so much, with more attention being shone onto um, these particular issues, it's making me feel less like I'm um, delusional um, and makes me encouraged to want to continue to feed into the space, making work that really sort of, you know, showcases and um, tells people that, you know, we exist and we're as good as you, (laughs) you know? I want people to talk about when they talk about my art is how I am 
helping make、uh, more space for people who want to make art,、um, creating more spaces for them to find joy in making art, and、um, bringing and making visible、um, things that used to be. Maybe overlooked, unpopular. Just bringing that into a space where、um, it can be celebrated,、um, and that people can find joy、um, in looking at and participating in. The way that I move through life, and and I believe that you know, life is my life is connected to my art, and the decisions that I make now through my art,、um, which affects my life, oftentimes、um, is for the younger version of me. You know, and so that's why I kind of speak the way that I do because I don't want to forget who I used to be, and it's really important that the decisions that I make now and in the future affects that younger version of me that felt really slighted and sort of like, you know,、um, sort of like unequal、um, to or believe that he felt unequal、um, in his environment. So. Pride is a production of Straw Hat Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Then follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Pride, and tune in weekly for new episodes. Be sure to share this episode with your friends and subscribe for more stories from amazing queer people. If you'd like to connect with me, you can follow me everywhere at Levi Chambers. Pride is produced by me, Levi Chambers, Maggie Bowles, Ryan Tillotson, Caitlin McDaniel, and Brandon Marlow. Edited by Silvana Alcala and Daniel Ferreira. Sound mixing by Silvana Alcala. I loved the Dua Lipa illustration.、Oh. Loved it. <laughs> Thanks. It's so good. I never got to meet her.、Aww. I mean, you kind of did. You created the cartoon version.